0: Redemption, can be. Good to see you guys. How are you doing? Um, it, my name is Benjamin Jensen and I'm a director of our Redemption Communities, which I think Ricardo mentioned. Uh, those are our groups that gather in people's homes and usually gather weekly or so and then they get together. And they talk about the gospel, and they encourage one another in the gospel, and they apply the gospel to their lives, and it's a great thing. Some, some sing, some do a lot more prayer, some do Bible studies, all sorts of things, but that is really part of the lifeblood of what our church is. We are a community that's defined by Jesus, and we have followed Jesus, and we have been saved by Jesus. And, and in this bigger community, these are smaller communities where we can have this sort of one another love with one another. Um, which is from the, uh, quote from the de- Department of Redundancy Department, uh, "The one another love for one another. Uh, but anyway, th- to say this, uh, I am married, I-, I have a wife named Lacey, and, um, and my daughter's name is Zoe, she's four, I've been around here for a couple years now, I came from Minneapolis, Minnesota originally, and it's just it's really good to be here with you. Uh, if you're a-, a-, a long-time attender here, or been attending for a little while of redemption, um, hopefully you- you're starting to feel this and know this, but... This is a really blessed place. Like this church, uh, God loves you and he's showing his favor on our church and he's giving us lots of grace in lots of different ways. And so just just know that, that that God is so good to us and he's doing some really great things here. He's moving in this city and in this state and it's very exciting to be part of it. And for you, you guys are awesome. So just know uh, I love you and I'm so glad to be here. And, uh, and I get to preach today and I'm excited about that too. We are in our series, uh, Return of the King. As you can see on the screen, last week Ricardo preached about that kingdom is near. and He talked about us being ready and no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, if you look really closely behind the fog, you can see Frodo and Samwise. <laughs> see him in there a little bit? Oh, maybe not. But But, yes, Return of the King is not just about Lord of the Rings. Not just. It's not about Lord of the Rings at all, really. Uh, It's about the return of Jesus Christ. But, but, the Lord of the Rings has a lot of echoes of the gospel story. All right? And so if you've seen that, or if you've read the books, those classic books, or the great movies are really long, I feel like it's my duty to at least share a little bit, some illustration from that, because Ricardo's never seen them or, or read them, and so it, like, I'm the only guy right now that can do that. So for, for you who are a little nerdy with your fantasy stuff, here is your Lord of the Rings thing for Return of the King for this whole series. But we're talking about the kingdom of God, and there's a really helpful thing that happens in that story of Lord of the Rings. Gandalf goes to... He goes to the, this main city in Gondor, which is the big country, the capital city. And he goes up to the throne. But sitting on the throne is not the king. It's the steward of Gondor. His name is Denethor. And he's this guy... He's, he's pretty creepy, to be honest. He's got, like, slicked back hair. It's really long and super greasy. And, and he just like, dude, this is a little bit of a creepy guy. And, 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 he, and Denethor is mean right off the bat. And, and essentially... He says, I don't, I'm not giving the kingdom back to the true king. I've heard about this king that's coming. The story is the king of Aragorn, and he was, like, he was kind of exiled, and he's coming back to the city. And he says, I'm not going to do it. This is now my kingdom. That, that whole line of kings has been lost. And so in some ways, that echoes the story of the kingdom of God, the true story of our whole world, that the king is returning. But there's another one on the throne And that one on the throne now is not a good steward of this world in any way, shape, or form, but he is resisting the return of the king, and that's Satan. And so, here's where we're going to go. Here's three points. Number one, Jesus is the king. Number two, uh, his is the kingdom. Because Jesus is the king, he is the king of the kingdom. And then number three, because he is the king and his is the kingdom, he has authority and he gives us the kingdom as a gift. Those are our points. Um, as, as we get rolling, let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace to us. And in a thousand ways, Jesus, you show your love to us. You condescended to this world. You were born as a child, born of a virgin. You fulfilled hundreds of prophecies with your birth and your life and your death. And you rose again from the dead. And you are alive now. And you are alive in this room. And you're with us by your spirit. And so, would you, be, would you meet us here in a powerful way? Would you impress our hearts with the good news of the kingdom of Jesus? Do this now, in your name, Jesus. Amen. So that's where we're going, those three points. Jesus is king, and his is the kingdom, and the kingdom is a gift to us. Before we, we jump right in to that, Jesus is king, the first point, it, it's important, I think, to back up a little bit and, and tell the story of the king so we get a little picture of what happened. Uh, before we do that, Let's actually grab some Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand here. We have a bunch of Bibles to hand out. We want you to be able to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand nice and high, and they'll, they'll bring one up to you. It's, it's class A service here in Redemption. Uh, so we've got our first point of Jesus is king. Jesus is the king. Let's back up, though, and tell the story of the king, which is really the story of the world. We have creation. So in the beginning, God creates the world. And in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through him. God creates the world, and he creates animals, and beasts, and trees, and and the sun, and the moon, and the sky, and the sea, and this beautiful creation. God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Several times he said, it's good. But then he creates Adam and Eve. Out of the dust, he creates them. Miraculously, instantaneously, supernaturally, God creates the first humans. And they are are the parents of all of us. And to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over the world. Subdue it. And so that's not only a blessing. It's a mandate. It's a charge. It's authority that says you now are given authority to, to uh, to be over this world and to subdue it and to take dominion. Dominion, that's the same word as dominate. And so in a way, Adam and Eve are given crowns. Or scepters, the things that a king would hold. They are the king and queen of our world. But there's a serpent in the garden. And the serpent speaks to Adam and Eve and deceives them. And at the core of what the serpent says to them is this. You don't have to serve God. You can be king. You can be king and queen, the ultimate king and queen. That's the lie that the serpent told them. And they rebelled against God and they disobeyed him. Now when they disobeyed God, here's what happened. There was a great exchange, a spiritual exchange that happened. Because God had given them authority. And their allegiance was to God alone who was good and all things were perfect and unbroken and whole and beautiful. But when they sinned, they disobeyed God, but they also, they obeyed the serpent. And when they did that, they, they showed allegiance to the serpent. Which is to say, they took their authority, their crowns, and they handed them to Satan, to the serpent. And the world was broken. Because when the world has God as king and all things in the right order, it is a good world full of blessing and righteousness. But when sin and death and when Satan is on that throne, the world is a world of brokenness and death and chaos. Because Satan hates us. And so, that's, what, that's how the world was broken. But, but right away, the good news came to God's people, to Adam and Eve. Saying, there will be one from your offspring, Eve, who will crush the head of the, of the serpent. God has not abandoned his people, and he has not abandoned us. And so then, let's kind of do a flyby of all of redemptive history. When you go from there, you take that fall in the garden... The the, the fall of man, the rebellion against God, and all things become broken from that fall because we had the authority and we gave it to the devil. And we fly by thousands of years of church history of, of the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, and we see again and again and again that the people long for a true king, for a good king. And they cry out for a good king. And you see, the stories, if you read stories like in, in the books of the Bible, like 1 Kings and 2 Kings, he talks about the kings. And again and again, all you see the majority of them say, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they did what was right in their own eyes. They were rebelling. They were bad kings. They were insufficient to be the kings of the world and be kings of God's people. And so we have this longing, this mourning. Just like we, like we, like we sung in, in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, maybe one of my favorite Christmas songs, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And so we come right up then to the New Testament, and we see that Jesus arrives on the scene, born of a virgin, perfect in his life, no sin at all. Showing the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to this world, it breaks in. Because the kingdom before that had been the kingdom of Satan, really. The kingdom of sin and death. And it had reigned. Death had reigned over the earth. Though there was grace, though God gave much grace throughout all the history of his people, there was not a power an authority to overthrow sin and death. None of the kings could do it. But Jesus comes. And Jesus says, like our text, Satan, this is my kingdom. Taken it back. That's the good news with the power of the gospel that Jesus says to us and He speaks to our world, and that's the story of the King. Um, We we say this a lot. We say the kingdom is already here, but not yet fulfilled or not yet fully realized. And and that's that's a tricky thing, but it's an important thing because we don't want to say the kingdom of God is only only in the future sometime a year or 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years from now when Jesus returns though it is that, but we we also don't want to say it's only here and now in sort of ethical living and treating each other well. Those are good things, but it's more than that. It's both here and now, invisibly in many ways, in our hearts, because the same way that Jesus invaded this world to take back the kingdom is the way he's invaded our hearts to overthrow the, the sinful king of our hearts. And he saves us, that's what salvation is, that's what the gospel is. Here's something that maybe help with this tension, though, of the already and the not yet. You'll hear this again. Ricardo will talk about it, too, because it's such a key part of understanding the kingdom. When I was a kid, uh, in middle school, I, went, I lived in a small town, a really small town. It was a 1,000 people. Um, there were a lot of pickup trucks. There were a lot of cowboys. There's a lot of country western music and uh, so on and so forth. I was a skateboarder. Um, skateboarders and cowboys historically do not get along. There's a bit of a tension there, too. The kingdom of cowboys and the kingdom of skateboarders, that's usually how it works. But I'm cool with cowboys now, just to say. If there are any cowboys in the, out there... But, but in this small town where I grew up, it was you a know, thousand people. Right through the middle of it ran a bunch of train tracks or one set of railroad tracks. And every day, I would walk to school and I would cross those train tracks and they would give us safety classes to say, be careful about trains. Trains can be very dangerous. Trains are massively heavy, like hundreds or dozens and hundreds of, of tons. It takes up to a mile, a mile, for a train just to stop. So, don't tangle with a train. That's kind of the, the gist of it. Like, don't, don't try to fight a train because you you'll, you'll lose and won't go well. And, and so I would walk on these train tracks. Now, now, picture this. If I, if I went to the middle of my town and I stepped on those train tracks and I just said, This, this is my little kingdom. I, I rule these train tracks. And I rule it from the edge of town over there to the edge of town over there. I am the ruler of the train tracks of this town. And I said, Look, no one's challenging me. You know, come on, anyone? No. And it would seem in some ways that I did rule those tracks. But guess what? There's a train coming. And we all know who really rules the tracks. The train does. Not me. There's not even a hint of me winning that battle, is there? And likewise, likewise, sometimes it feels like our world is so broken and so filled with evil. Even in light of of recent events like Ferguson or Eric Garner. These things that, that show the brokenness of our world. And it feels like like Satan's winning. Like he's the ruler of this world. But the kingdom of God is coming. And it has come with power. And it is coming fully and more and more and closer and closer to us. Like the train bearing down. And Satan will be crushed. Because Jesus is the true king. So that's the story of the kingdom. And that's a little bit like the tension of the already and the not yet. So... Point one is that Jesus is king, and, and as, just, just to make clear with this, uh, we believe that the Bible is authoritative, it's God's word, and so what it says is true, and absolutely true, and eternally true, and here's what Hebrews 1 says about Jesus, just so we're very clear. Long ago, Hebrews 1, 1 through 1-4, if you want to go there, you can. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things is, is an historical reference to what kings did. When they decreed something, they were sovereign over their lands and said, this is what will occur, this is what will happen, this is what we will do. Or when they returned from a battle and said, we have won the battle, the kingdom is safe, I am the sovereign of this kingdom. He would do his work and then he would sit down and sitting on the throne would show his work has been done. And so Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father the work is done, it is finished. That's what Jesus said about his work on the cross So Jesus is king. And I want to point this out too. Um, If you can see that, uh, we'll throw it up there quick. Uh, In Hebrews 1, that it says, uh, Long ago and in many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days. So I don't know. I'm not assuming you know a lot about the Bible. But Hebrews was written well before the Hunger Games was written. Uh, (laughs) It it was written 2,000 years ago. Okay? About 2,000. 1950 don't, you know, get technical. So about 2,000 years ago, it's written. And he says, in these last days, meaning the last days were happening 2,000 years ago. And so if somebody says to you, bro, I think the end times are on us, man. I think it's the last days. You say, amen, it is the last days. In Hebrews 1, it says right here, it's the last days. It's been the last days for 2,000 years. So there's a sense, and something changed fundamentally when when Jesus rose from the dead, and when the Spirit of God was given to us at Pentecost in Acts 2, the world changed fundamentally. And that began the, well, the fancy word is eschatological age, the end age, the last days. They were in it 2,000 years ago. We are in it now. And what does that mean? Well, like that song, we, we wait until the Son of God appears, not just the first time, but the second time when Jesus returns to make all things new. So Jesus is king, point one. Point two, his is the kingdom. And here's where we get to John 18. So if you want to go there with me, let's look at that, because I want to break this down in the text. I think this is significant, what Jesus says about uh, his kingdom. He says, he answers Pilate, Pilate's asking him, you know, by the way, this is the morning of the crucifixion. It's early morning, they have brought in the Pilate, they want to get rid of him, they being the Jews, the religious authorities at that time, and, and so he's before Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? That's what they've been telling him. They're trying to get him on this charge that he's, he's planning a revolution, an insurrection against Caesar and against the Roman Empire that rules Israel at the time, which is called Palestine at the time. And and, and so Pilate's asking this, and he says, are you the king? And in Jesus answered, this is verse 36 of John 18. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. I want to make a few observations. One, uh, Jesus says the word "my," My kingdom." not someone else's kingdom, but my kingdom." He, cl- he makes a claim on the kingdom. Now, I, I looked this up, and-, and there's over 100 uses of the word, the kingdom, of the phrase, the kingdom, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, from Jesus in the Gospels. He talks about the kingdom a lot. In fact, it's his main theme when he proclaims the gospel, that the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand. And out of those 100 uses, over 100, 119, only twice does he say, my, my kingdom. So this is significant. This is on the eve of... This is on the eve, this is on the morning of the great battle of the crucifixion. Number two, observation two. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world, or is not from this world. Uh, So we're going to get a little bit nerdy with grammar and stuff, so hopefully you teachers will be happy, or hopefully I won't mess up and they will be angry. But whatever the case, we're going to look at this little word of. It's a preposition, right? You guys know what a preposition is. You're very intelligent college students, or your college students. But either way, um, the word of is a tricky preposition because it can be used so versatilely. So one way to use it is to say, okay, he walked out of his house, coming out of, of his house he came out of. Another way is to show possession. That's the, that's the bicycle of Jack, or that's the car of Jen. Although, I bet you guys don't really say, oh, that's the bike of Jack, because you just say Jack's bike, I know. But, but if you want to be more biblical, you should say it that way, the bike of Jack, <laughs> But in, in that sense, that's how kingdom of God is used, right? The kingdom of God, meaning God is the possessor of the kingdom. He's the owner of the kingdom. This other way to use of. And there's a, there's a third way, too. Of can show what characterizes something. There's this place in Memphis. I think there's a few of them now. It's a music joint. People go and, go and eat, eat good stuff and drink good stuff and listen to good music. And it's called the House of Blues, right? You've heard of that? The House of Blues. And so, what do they do there? They play blues music. Blues isn't the owner of the place. Blues is a kind of music. It's, it's what characterizes that place. And so they call it the house of blues. And that's, that's the way he's using it here, I think, when he says, my kingdom is not of the world. The world does not characterize the kingdom of God. The world does not fill the kingdom of God as, as the, main, the main content of it. It is something altogether different, otherworldly, the kingdom of God in that way. And, and finally, third observation, and by the way, from is the other one, right? Which is a little easier, the word from. My kingdom is not from the world, is what he says. And, and from being where something originates, right? And so if, if someone says uh, that, oh, that person's pretty smart and good-looking, and the other person says, yeah, they're from Yuma, You're, they're from Yuma, or something like that, whatever, like that. Um, I, I, everyone picks on Yuma, so I decided to be nice to them. Um, but that's where something originates from. But The kingdom doesn't originate from this world either. Third observation is this. My servants would have been fighting. My servants, that's what Jesus says. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Well, that is, with swords, an earthly battle. And in fact, earlier, if you read the story, Peter takes out a sword and lops off a servant's ear. A servant of the other guy when they're coming to get Jesus. And Jesus says, whoa, chill out, Peter. And he said, put the sword away, this is not how it works, I must be delivered, this is what I came for. So, he says, my my servants would have been fighting if it was an earthly revolution, if it was an earthly insurrection and fight, but my kingdom is not of this world. Now, here's what he doesn't say, though. He doesn't say that there's no fight to be had. Jesus knows there is a fight, there is a battle. He is on the cusp. Of the greatest battle that this world has ever seen. It's the battle against evil. It's the battle against Satan. Against sin and death. And it's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of sin and death and Satan. And they're about to collide on the Mount of Crucifixion. That very day. So that's where we are in this story. When he's speaking about that. And it makes sense too. Because if if, um, if Jesus was like... Uh, getting distracted by the wrong fight, it'd be something like this. Uh, When I was younger, there was a huge boxing match between a guy named Mike Tyson and a guy named Evander Holyfield. I'm just curious, have you guys ever heard of Evander Holyfield, anyone? All right, well, that's cool. Good for Evander. I know you've probably heard of Mike Tyson because he's still around and he's got the face tattoo and and whatnot. But but Mike Tyson was the, the champ, the world champ, an amazing boxer and so fierce. And so this huge fight like, hundreds of millions of dollars on the line and millions of people watching, and I think it's at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas where all the big boxing matches are. But if Mike Tyson, on his way there, would have gotten in a fist fight in the parking lot, people would have been like, dude, what are you doing, man? That's not the fight. That's not the big fight. Why? You would never get in a fight on the way to the big fight, this world-renowned title bout fight. Although Mike Tyson might actually do that because he's, he's a little crazy. But, But... But Jesus is saying that, listen, this earthly fight, all these people want me to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and restore the the Jewish kingdom to Israel, this kingdom of power, a political game? He says, no, that's just a scuffle. That's not the ultimate battle. That's not the real fight. The real fight is against the spiritual powers of this world, and it's about to go down. So those are three observations about that. I do want to say something here for a second. I want to to camp out on this this word world. Um, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and what that can imply to us is that the world is yucky, the world is disgusting, the world is, is gross, and I don't want anything to do with it, I don't like the world, get it out of my face, I just want to escape the world. But that's not how scriptures talk about the world. Uh, the, the Greek word here is cosmos, which is the direct, direct transliteration to English of cosmos. Maybe you guys have seen that thing with Neil deGrasse Tyson, his cool series about the Cosmos. I don't agree with everything, but I love, I love the study of stars and astrology, or astronomy, not astrology. <laughs> it's different. The tarot cards, I, don't, I don't, don't get into that jive. But, um, astronomy, I do dig, and, and it's, a, it's a cool show to show the bigness of our universe. But cosmos, really, in this, in this sense, means everything that exists. Everything that exists to us, both seen and unseen, trees and cars and, and gravity and love, things we can see and things we can't see, everything in existence to us is the cosmos. And God is using, or Jesus is using the word cosmos, world. Now what he doesn't say about the world is, one, he doesn't say the world is evil. He doesn't say that. He's, he doesn't say the world is condemned in this passage. He doesn't say he's going to destroy the world. So, we have some questions like, what, what should we think about the world? Should we just throw it away like it's a piece of trash and just hope to escape? I think scripture says no. Here's what 1 John says. It does say the world, we must be aware of the world. 1 John 2, same writer, the Apostle John. He writes in a letter to the churches, do not love the world or the things of, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so when he says world here, it seems like, yeah, the world is bad, it's pretty clear, but he clarifies and he says, it's really the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is to say, the world in itself is not evil, we are evil. We're the offspring of Adam and Eve. We're the ones who got corrupted by the fall. And we're the ones who are in rebellion against God still. We know it. We feel it. The brokenness of the world is not something out there that was their fault. It's, it's in us. And it comes out of us, which is why this world is broken. But but there's good news. That God has mercy since Jesus. And so we don't have to remain in that state of, of the reign of sin over us. But Jesus frees us from it. So we've got the world This world filled with wickedness, which is true. We look around and we do see things that are tough. We see brokenness and we see tears and pain and suffering. And we say, okay, here's that world filled with wickedness. But over here, we've got God and his kingdom, which is righteous and perfect and holy and majestic. And so here are these two things, two poles, these opposite poles. And the question is, how do we reconcile a wicked world with a good God? Do we just just trash the world and throw it away? And God's answer is no There's a verse you might have heard of It talks about the world It goes like this For God so loved the world That he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish But have eternal life and, and a few verses later John three nineteen says, And this is the judgment that light has come into the world And people love the darkness Rather than the light because their works were evil No God doesn't hate the world. He doesn't, he's not going to trash the world. He loves the world, and he's saving the world through Jesus Christ and by his spirit. And again, that's the gospel. That's the good news of gospel redemption. The only way to reconcile a wicked world and a good God is through the body of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again. That's what redemption looks like. So, we've talked about but these different these couple different things. We've talked about Jesus saying my kingdom is not of this world and maybe, maybe still uh, kingdom is a little hazy and maybe that already not yet thing's a little hazy or the nature of the kingdom. So so let me just share something that might help to, to, to describe it or to define it. First, uh, here's a quote from a guy named Anthony Hokema. He's a theologian and he defines the kingdom like this. He says, the kingdom of God is to be understood as the reign of God dynamically active in human history through Jesus Christ. The purpose of which the redemption of God's people from sin and from demonic powers, so redemption of people, and to the final establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. It must not be understood as merely the salvation of certain individuals or even as the reign of God in the hearts of his people, as true and as good as that is. It's not merely that. The kingdom of God means nothing less than the reign of God over his entire created universe. Now that... Redemption. And that's awesome. That's awesome in the truest sense of the word, awesome. Uh, my wife and I recently moved into a house here in Tempe. We're really thankful we could get into a place, but the, the, the place had some troubles. It was from 1962. It was, it, was, it was a little old. There were some things that were broken down. and needed some renovation. They found asbestos in it, which is a hazardous material. We didn't want to hang out with hazardous material, so that's got to be removed. And, and so we renovate this house. Now, the thing is, Even if we did an amazing job at renovation, like the 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 top-of-the-line HGTV kind of renovation, if no one lives in that house, just sits there, it's just shiny and nice, it's not really a house. It's not really a home. It's not really fulfilling what its essence is to be a place that's lived in. And in the same way, the kingdom of God, as beautiful, As it is when we talk about the joy and the peace of God reigning and the righteousness of God. It's not meant just to be adored from far off. It's not meant to just be shiny. Listen guys, the kingdom of God is not a dead monument. The kingdom of God is a house of life. The kingdom of God is a house where the king goes to live forever with his family. How cool is that? That's what the kingdom of God is. It's meant to be lived in. And so then that begs the question, well, what do we do? How do we get to the kingdom? How do we live in the kingdom? Uh, Luke 12 says that um, don't seek what you're going to eat or you're going to wear, but seek the kingdom of God and all those other things are added to you. Or Matthew's, a little more popular, Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And the question is, well, how do we seek the kingdom? And the answer is fairly simple. Because Jesus is king, because his is the kingdom, the way we seek the kingdom of God is by seeking the king. We seek Jesus, and that's how we get to the kingdom of God. We enter through him, through the narrow gate, which is his body, broken for us and risen again to conquer sin and death. Within that, though, in discussing kingdoms... We, we all know this, and we must know this. Uh, we, we feel it. There are more than one kingdom. There's only one kingdom of God, all right? But there's a lot of other kingdoms. And, and, and let me just throw a few at you that, that I thought of, and I bet you guys can come up with dozens more, hundreds more on your own. But, but think of these different kingdoms. See, the thing about other kingdoms and other kings is that they ask something from you. They demand something from you. Where Jesus gives us the gift of the kingdom. He gives it to us. Here's some other kingdoms, though. The kingdom of comparison. Do you guys feel that at all? How do you value yourself? How do you find yourself worth? Is it by looking at other people? How good are they? How bad are they? Do they look good? Do they look bad? Are they smarter or not? Are they, are they richer? Whatever it is. Whatever things you, you value. Do you look at those people to get your own value? The kingdom of comparison? Is that always ruling your life? How about the kingdom of noise? We have a really tough time with silence and solitude in our world. Because we have these things always screaming at us, and by things, I mean I mean these guys, these little, these little smartphones, these glowing rectangles that are like on us all the time, or whether it's another screen somewhere else, and music playing or commercial playing, you should buy this, you should do that. This is an iPhone 4, which if you never heard of that, I found it in the house that was built in 1962, it's a vintage phone. <laughs> but there's noise everywhere. We have a tough time even relating to each other. There was a study done in an airport, uh, in airports, of a researcher who went to look at couples. He started noticing that, that couples, usually married couples, or he could tell they were together, but they, they, they did not seem to really be communicating well, and so he looked at 601 couples in airports. He watched them, and he's watched to see, oh, what do they do? What do couples do? And you know what, 595 of those couples We're looking at their phones next to each other, not talking to each other. There's something to that, our noise and our distraction always pulling us to other places. How about the kingdom of ambition and all your dreams? A lot of you are probably students, and I bet in your major you sort of have some dreams of where you'd like to be in a year or three years or ten years. And those are good things. Goals are good things. Dreams are good things. Ambition is not a bad thing. Unless you make it an ultimate thing, and then it becomes an idol, and then it'll just end in misery and ruins, no matter how successful you think you get. So, ambition. Ambition is one of the things that gets taken over, the kingdom of ambition. The kingdom of, of the information age, being informed is next to godliness, right? The next newswire. I'm on Twitter, and I find all these things, and it's, it's amazing that Twitter can just suck me in for minutes and minutes, and maybe maybe longer, than that. Uh, and just you keep reading these streams and all this information coming in. And it's again, not bad to be informed. Good. It's good to be informed, but it's not the ultimate thing that should define you. Is that a king in your life? Is that a kingdom that reigns over you? How about the kingdom of cool? I bet you guys feel that one well. I used to be cool when I was younger. I gave up on being cool, which was very freeing. Uh, it was great, so you, you should try it. But. Uh, you know, like when I bring up some, you know, some band, people are like, Are you serious? That that I don't even know who that is. But the Kingdom of Cool still beckons us, it says to us, listen, you have to keep up. You better keep up with the cool things and the cool bands and the cool things that are happening. And if, have you read this book and you've read that? There's the, the, the show called Portlandia and there's a scene about have you read it? Did you read it? Did you read it? And they battle each other like reading the newest and coolest thing is hilarious and end up, you know, in the street fighting over some newspaper and trying to read the newest and coolest thing. But it makes sense, right? We feel it. You better keep up. How about the kingdom of romance? Like if you find that one, then your life will be complete. But that's a lie. The one person that you might fall madly in love with, yes, will bring you happiness, but they cannot complete your life. And if you put that weight on that other person, whether they're real now or whether they're in your dreams for the future, you will, you will ruin that. They can't handle it. The only one who can handle the weight of your satisfaction is Jesus. So, how about the kingdom of convenience? The kingdom of religion? Do you have all the right Bible verses memorized? Did you read all the right books? Or do you have the good, good theology? Convenience is, is one too. And, and we know this, right? Like when you choose to go to the the, you know, the drive-thru of a fast food restaurant, or I think it's Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, says, no one, people go to McDonald's, just nobody admits they go to McDonald's. And so they're like, no, I don't, I don't eat at McDonald's, really. And then you see somebody at McDonald's, and you're eating a hamburger, and you like, what are you doing here? You say, I don't usually come here. It's just, it's just, it's just an accident, I got stuck here. Um, the kingdom of cash, success is always defined by your pile of cheddar. Um, the kingdom of consumerism, <laughs> Um, the thing about consumerism, too, is not just material things, right? It's not just what we have. It's not just that you can't release things out of your life or throw that thing away and say, no, no I'm though, not, I'm not consumed by that or I'm not ruled by that. But, but get this. I think if you peel that back, what do we really love as Americans? We like the ability to buy. We like to click on Amazon and be able to buy something and have it two days later. Or, or, as I just got an email from Amazon saying, in Phoenix, you can get it the next day now, during Christmas. So, like, my life is complete. <laughs> right? But the kingdom of the consumers and the ability to buy. How about, how about the kingdom of America? I don't know how many patriots there are here. I don't know how many of you say, I, I, I love our country, you're very nationalistic. But, it's, a, it's not a bad thing, guys. Remember, these are not all bad things. They can be good things, but if they're put on the throne of your life... They become idols, and they will cause you misery. But think about this. The Constitution of the United States is a brilliant document. Few people argue that at all in the whole world. Brilliant document, written by very intelligent people who had a lot of foresight. But the Constitution is not the Word of God. And a Constitution is not infallible. So don't raise it up to be Lord. How about the kingdom of... Um, how about the kingdom of protest... We define everything by what you're against. I actually saw uh, a kingdom of, a uh, sort of a kingdom of protest. I saw a protest happening about a week ago, a week ago, two weeks ago, here in downtown Tempe. It's like 30 people or so. I don't know if you guys saw it. They kind of walked over here by Mill Avenue and they stopped traffic and they were chanting and it had to do with Ferguson. They were protesting the, the, the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson and they had signs up that, that weren't friendly to police people and they, they, just, they, were, they were protesting saying this was wrong. And there were, there were some police on bikes around. Now, I, I won't comment on, on whatever you think about the, the protest. The, the, the Ferguson is a, is, a, is a thing that happened. There's a tragedy, without a doubt. What unnerved me, though, I got out of my car. I was watching a little bit. You don't see a lot of protests, maybe, or I don't, around here. Uh, and so I was watching, and I went to turn to leave. And as I turned to leave, on the sidewalk, there are these two dudes holding assault rifles just walking along. Here's the thing they weren't part of the protest, they were against the protest. They were confronting the protest in some ways, but they weren't policemen, and they weren't National Guardsmen. They were just dudes with assault rifles, walking on the sidewalk in downtown Tempe, like like a quarter of a mile from where my daughter is sleeping. So so that unnerved me far more than the the protest would have unnerved me, but this, and, and that's a kingdom right there, you guys. I don't think guns are good or bad necessarily, but... If you, if you do that, if you have that mindset to use force and might, that's a kingdom that can rule you. And I'm sure you guys have a lot of kingdoms you could come up with, too. The kingdom of the selfie, which is selfie explanatory. The kingdom, <laughs> The kingdom of the American dream, right? Do you have that dream kind of within that ambition category? Do you have that dream of a nice house somewhere with, with a couple nice cars and a beautiful spouse and nice children with good dental work and 2.4 kids and, and the American dream? My, my friend Abraham once said, uh, uh, Jesus saves from the American dream. I think it's powerful. I think we need to pay attention to that. How about for you guys, if, if particularly your students, the kingdom of academia? Like, how much does your GPA... Affect who you are, affect your mood, affect what you see, how you see yourself. When you don't hit that score you really wanted, do you feel like crap? Maybe it's good to check your heart and just think, is, is the academics the king of, my, king of my life? Is it higher than it should be? Is it over Jesus? Or maybe they just the kingdom of ASU. Like, like this is what, if, if you're just anywhere randomly and you hear a firework, do you start going, ASU, ASU, do you start chanting ASU at any fireworks that go off? But the reality is, uh, school spirit's awesome. It's a good thing. But, Tim Keller said this, any good thing that you make an ultimate thing becomes an idol. And that's bad. And I you rattle off hundreds of more, right? The kingdom of lust, and the kingdom of organization, and the kingdom of fun, and the kingdom of health and fitness, and the kingdom of recognition and fame, and all these things battling as rival kings to the kingdom of God. But Jesus comes and he says, he says this in, in, in Luke 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus loves us, and he died and rose again to win the kingdom, and then he gives us the kingdom. It's awesome. What a gift of God. What a grace that he gives us the kingdom of God. He chooses to. It's his good pleasure to give us all the blessings of the kingdom. So in closing, I want to tell a little story, because I think maybe... it's helpful to say, what does the kingdom look like, though, maybe in real life? And there are a lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to say. Are, are you honest in a situation where you don't need to be? Do you have integrity with that? Do you, do, you, do you think of others? Do you reach out to them beyond where really your little world ends? Can you reach across that to somebody who's really different than you? Like, Can you actually love somebody who really annoys you? That's a good test of real love. Because if you just hang out with all, all the people you really love all the time, that you get along with, it's not, it's not hard. How about this, though? Here's a story. There's a little boy. Uh, my friend works in Uganda. And Uganda's a, you know, a torn-up country in a whole bunch of ways, and there's a lot of brokenness there. And they have tens of thousands of street children and orphans in Uganda. And so while working here, he worked for an organization that helped to house them. And he met this little boy, and I'll, I'll, I'll call him Bob, because they, like they have names like that. It's funny. Uh, that's not his Uganda name, I think, but it's his it's American name, which is Bob. Uh, and so little Bob is 12 years old, and in talking to my friend, he says, he makes a statement, you know what, uh, I want to get married someday, but if my wife ever gets out of line, I'm going to beat her. That's what he says. And so laughed, and laughed. Not really a laughing moment, but it's sad. But, but anyway he says this, it has a good ending, so we, we can cover over, don't worry. So he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat my wife if she gets out of line. And and of course Andrew, who's a Christian, says he says, Oh, um, you know, that's that's not good. And he teaches this little guy, this twelve year old, about what it means to love others. And he forms a relationship with him over months. And they do Bible lessons together. And he reads Ephesians 5, which says, Husbands, love your wives. Which means respect them and protect them and care for them, but never, ever beat them. And so then the p- report comes a couple months later when my friend came back here for a time. And he said, hey, we just want to share with you that what little Bob said recently. We were talking with him. And he said, you know... After, after a, a, our friend shared with us that Bible lesson from Ephesians 5, I'm not going to be my wife anymore. I'm going to love her. I'm going to protect her. But he didn't stop there. He, he was walking one day in their city, and he came upon three other boys, probably 10 to 12 years old, and, and they were about to beat a girl up because the girl had said something mean to them. And he said, no, don't do that because God doesn't want us to hurt women because we are, we are boys. We are men. And we were to protect, we were to love and protect women. And they said, okay, yeah, you're right, we agree with you. And they became friends. And so that's a picture of the kingdom of God breaking into this little boy's heart. And changing it. And thus changing how he lives his life. And when he protected that girl from being beat, it was a witness that the kingdom of God is already here. God is breaking into the world and he's showing his kingdom and his reign. When the devil reigns, it's destruction and death. But when God reigns, it's goodness and life and blessing and peace and joy and righteousness and you go on and on because God is the good king and the true king. Here's the shape of the kingdom. If we want to seek the kingdom, we seek Jesus. This is from Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the king and his father's good pleasure to give us his flock the kingdom of god and all its righteousness let's let's pray together father we thank you for your grace we thank you for your goodness and god we thank you that you are happy you are pleased to give us the kingdom of god lord we feel the brokenness of this world We feel it in our own selves, and our own hearts, and we feel it around us, and we feel it in the greater world. We see these things, this wickedness that happens. God, would you give us eyes to see your strength and your grace and your goodness? Would you uphold us with your righteous right hand? Would you shape us to be more like you, Jesus? As your spirit dwells with us, all of your promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And so we know that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and you call us to be strong and courageous, knowing that you are with us. God, send us into this world as ambassadors of your kingdom. Make us more and more like you, who humbled yourself, even as you were Lord. Lord, let us be humble people who follow you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.